Fiends and horror hounds. This is Brett from Dimension Z, joined as I am every week by Greg of the Dead. How you doing, man? I'm doing better now. It was weird. I was taking a walk in the woods earlier, Brett, and I fell into a hole, and an alligator started coming towards me. But luckily, I shot my gun a bunch, and I got away. Oh, were you attacked by stock footage? Yes, I was. It was scary. It's like this alligator didn't look like it was near me at all, but I assure you, it was coming right at me. Oh yeah, and the um octopus that changes shape and like size constantly? The monster, you mean? Oh yes, the scary scary monster. Yes, exactly. It was a, it was a tough day, but that's good now. But we have that 1950s pep in our step, so we're going to go have a molt and we're going to be in bed by 8 p.m. Dude, I'm about to at this time change. I'm like, "Yep, yeah, that sounds good." Oh, I actually like really I don't mind the time change for this one because I love nighttime. So when it gets dark at 5 p.m., I'm like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like I much prefer I'm definitely like a Bella Lugosi type of that of just like shroud me in darkness. Dude, when I'm home, I don't mind being dark. But I got that whole seasonal depression shit. So as soon as it starts getting dark earlier, I'm like, oh, no, here it comes. Oh, yeah. So Bride of the Monster 1955. And, of course, it's named after the man, so it gets an Edward trifecta. Writer, producer, director. I was so glad. I'm like, what, we're going to have to rename it if Edward doesn't get the Edward trifecta. <laughs> well, if we ever do Glenn or Glenda, he technically doesn't get it, I don't think. Oh, no. We'll never do this movie. Yeah. It will be a bonus, so it doesn't count. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, Bride of the Monster, 1955. Holy shit. This movie's only like an hour long, but it feels like it's two hours at certain points. Not a compliment. That's not a, not a good thing. <laughs> no, we're like, there's certain scenes I'm just like, oh, fuck, yes, this is awesome. And other ones I'm like, why? I don't care. <laughs> but, like, you know what? Props to Bella Lugosi, because you know what scenes never feel like that? Bella Lugosi scenes. Yes. You know what else feels like that, though? Everything else. <laughs> well, not everything else. Pretty damn close. Yeah, pretty. I mean, there's that um, Professor Strowski. He's not bad. Yeah, we'll see. And Kelton, he's a, he's a little scamp. I don't even know who that is. Who was that? The, the um, police officer, the deputy, the bumbling deputy. Oh, okay. I see. <laughs> Old movie. If you guys do want to watch it and you haven't yet, it is for, you can find it for free on YouTube. It's in public domain, I think. So yeah, oh, you can yeah. watch it pretty much anywhere. Also, um, I would if you watch the uh, movie itself first, and then if you're a fan of Mystery Science Theater 3000, watch their episode on it as well, because that is so funny. And I believe that's the episode that the classic line of, time for a go to bed, came from. Oh yeah, it is, with Tor Johnson, yeah. Yeah. How does this movie start? It's black and white. Again, it's Ed Wood. So if you are unaware, Ed Wood is most famous, I'd say, for the movie Plan 9 from Outer Space. Widely regarded as the worst movie of all time. I love that movie and adore it, but that should let you know what you're in for with this movie a bit. Oh yeah, this is complete schlock. Like, this oh, is yeah. intercutting, like, uh, stock footage with random scenes and, like, multiple scenes that don't need to happen and scenes hold for too long. There's overacting. There's tons of scenery chewing. 
I'll say, I think this is actually, and it makes sense, because that's why this one isn't called, I think this is a better quote-unquote film than Plan 9 from Outer Space, from like a purely technical review standpoint, 100%, I think it is. I do not enjoy it nearly as much. But I think, like, if we're breaking it down to, well, did they do this right? Did they do this right? I think he got way more right in the proper way, I guess, with this. Yeah, where this was his, like, middle movie. Like, I know he made more than just Glenn or Glenda, Bride of the Monster, and Plan 9. He There's a couple more that he did of, like, there's, like, Orgy of the Dead. It was mostly, like, spooky music and, like, topless girls, like, jiggling. Hell yeah. But that's what he turned into, and then he started writing porn novels in the 70s. Yeah, makes sense. That That's on brand. Ed Wood, it's almost like the Tommy Wiseau thing of, like, you. if you love him, you love him. If you don't get it, you're probably not going to enjoy his movies. Yeah, that's very true. And it's when we put these out, there's a big split. People like it, Plan 9, or hating it, things like that. So I'm sure this will be no different. Oh, yeah. What? I am always just so excited to talk about an Edward D. Wood Jr. movie. Oh, yeah. I was excited to do this one. Movie kicks off. There's a storm outside in the woods, and there's two guys with guns who I assumed were cops, but I think they're hunters, or were they cops? They are cops. I think they're hunters. Oh, hunters. Yeah. Oh, I do have that later. I put cops in parentheses question mark. Okay. They're trapped outside in the storm, and they go to this abandoned house for shelter, and who opens the door, Brett? The, I mean, my favorite horror actor, and possibly my favorite actor of all time, the amazing Bella Lugosi. A very, very old Bella Lugosi. But he's there, at least. He is 100% in this movie, not a few things, like, thrown into the movie. Yeah, that's where almost, like, as far as, like, I like Plan 9 more than Bride of the Monster. But I love Bride of the Monster for the fact of it has so much actual Bella Lugosi in it. Not just him wandering around in footage that was shot, like, way before there was a script of just, like, let's go dance in a field in your cape, Bella. And Bella's like, yes, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I love this. The From the get-go when Bella comes out, you know he's the most, like, classically trained actor in this thing. Because he opens the door, like, you are not welcome in my house. Go away now. Oh, yeah, and they're, they're like, please, please, like, it's really storming out here and whatnot. And he's like, no, you must go away. And then Lobo shows up, played by the amazing Tor Johnson, my favorite um, wrestler-turned-actor of all time. Oh, I can't even give you that, but I do love him. And what he shows up in this is Lobo, and he just keeps this one face on for the entire time, which inspired the mask like the best-selling Halloween mask where he's like one of the only people in the world where he has a scary monster mask, but it's just his face. <laughs> That's kind of, I don't know if I'd be proud or insulted. Wasn't that what uh, George the Animal Steel said when he got cast as Tor Johnson in the Ed Wood movie? Of like, oh, I'm cast as Tor Johnson, like the ugliest like actor ever. <laughs> <laughs> they do look a lot alike though. Sorry, George the oh. Animal Steel. It's so per. It's like really spot on. It's like Papa. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Bella Lugosi is playing Doctor Eric Vornoff, and the hunters on the way to the house are talking about the monster that's rumored to live out here and everything like that. But Lobo Tor Johnson popped up, scares them away. Like it's the monster, and 
Eric Vornoff's like, that's not the monster, but do you want to see the monster? He's in the lab, and he hits some lever or something, that, and a hunter falls into the water and is grabbed by the octopus. Now, when I say this hunter's grabbed by the octopus, you see no such grabbing. You see stock footage of an octopus that was filmed clearly by some nature documentary, and then you see tentacles in a swamp that the guy kind of falls onto. Yeah, he falls onto a rubber octopus that at this point in the movie, they still have the octopus motor because the arms are moving by themselves. That will not continue later on in the movie. Later, the actors have to manipulate the arms to look like they're being attacked, and I will bring that up when we get there. Yeah. The the other one who didn't fall in is shooting, and he's captured by Lobo, and he wakes up strapped down in the lab as Warnoff's turning on equipment. And here's how we kind of get the plot of the movie. I say that as a question, because <laughs> he's going to experiment on him. He says, you will soon be as big as a giant with the strength of 20 men, or like all the others, dead. So, the movie's called Bride of the Monster. Let me get this out on Front Street now. And okay. you can you can answer my questions. Sure. She was never being married to the monster. No. The plot of the movie is he's experimenting on people to turn them giant. The monster is just secondary. What is the plot of the movie, Brett? I've watched the movie. Don't take me as that. I'm still slightly confused. Well, the original title was Bride of the Atom. Okay. Which that makes a little more sense. sense. Yeah. Because it's he's dealing with all this atomic shit. He changed it to Bride of the Monster because it's a catchier title. <laughs> that that's literally it. That it's just Ed Wood sitting there in his like nineteen fifties like chipper like attitude that I always imagine him with. I'll be like, Golly gee, what would be the best title of this movie? Hmm. Well let me go get in drag real quick. Alright, where's my Angora? Okay, Bride of the Atom. Yes. No, Bride of the Monster. Skippity doo. Let's go get a milkshake. You know what? If they can make a movie called Spiral from the Book of Saw and it has nothing to do with fucking Saw, I guess fine. Go ahead. Your title doesn't have to have anything to do with the movie, sure. And I think it's also the fact of Ed Wood was such a like universal monster fan. He just wanted to make a Bride of Blank movie. Yeah, which is a trend that still continues almost to this day. It's been a bit, but still goes on. Oh, yeah, I mean, Bride of Chucky, but it, I also love, like, Bride of Chucky makes so many references right back to Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, to the point they even have it on the TV and everything. Oh, yeah, Jennifer Tilly's sitting in the bathtub, like, watching Bride of Frankenstein, and I'm just like, huh, look at you. <laughs> but he turns on the equipment, and he does end up like the others. It kills him. He's dead. And then we cut to a newspaper headline, a thing Ed Wood loves to use. Oh, yeah. Newspaper headline smash cuts. Monster strikes again. And I love even, like, I forget what the title of the newspaper is, but it's basically, like, small town newspaper is what it, like, is the just, just that they're trying to get, like, across. I didn't even notice. I didn't catch what it was called. It was very, it wasn't like, it, it was very vague and whatnot, but it just sounded like, and that's another thing. Where does this movie take place? That's never said. Uh, sometimes it looks like, honestly, where we live, like the Pennsylvania woods. Other times it looks like California. Sometimes I think it's Florida. I have no idea. Exactly. It's like Springfield in The Simpsons, where, like, they're landlocked, but they're also, like, have access to all the oceans. Yeah, it makes no sense. Real quick, it's another little thing that I saw when where I was watching this this morning. Of, like, okay, so Bella Lugosi takes the 
stethoscope and checks his heart and then he checks his brain and then his wrist and then he's like no he did not make it you know kind of things like why did you have to check three different things i just see it as like and you can almost see him like keep like looking up a little bit and you can just like imagine ed wood behind the camera being like keep going keep going like this is amazing bella like <laughs> if you think i had a hard on for bella lugosi it has nothing compared to what ed wood had for bella lugosi Oh, no, not, not at all. You can tell he looked like Plan 9 is the perfect example. Like he wasn't even in the movie, but yes. He's like, I need to put this like five minutes of weird footage in here somehow. <laughs> so next we're at the police station. And I don't understand the very first part of the scene because there's a random guy just taken away who's like being booked. It has nothing to do with anything. And we spend way too much time on him. Um, That's Ben Frommer who plays drunk. Why is he there? Why do we include this? I also love he's like, no jail Cassell can confine me. You cannot take me away. Two seconds later, they take him away and put him in a jail cell and he's confined. But doesn't it seem like they spend so much time with him in like th- lines like that? I'm like, oh, he's a major player in this movie. No, that's it. No, that yeah, you know, yeah, that's it. This, this is this town's drunk. Like like the Andy Griffith Griffith show had like their town drunk. This is the town drunk of this movie. Just for no reason. Just because that was a trope back then. Yeah, the cops basically steal newspapers from the newspaper boy. Oh yeah, and uh, this is where um, Paul Marco, played by Kelton, who shows back up as one of the police officers from Plan 9 from Outer Space, um, beside Conrad Brooks. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I love how he, like, muscles the uh, newspaper guy into being, like, the new pa- newspaper guy's like, the chief told me to bring it to him because you always fuck up the papers when, like, you're done reading them. And he's like, I will strip you of your license and throw you in jail if you do not give me that newspaper. And they almost do, like, an all shucks look because, like, oh, police bribery and whatnot, like, ha ha ha, like, that's no big deal in the 50s. Oh, abuse of police authority. Waka waka. Yeah, exactly. It's ma- It's like, wah, wah, wah. It's like, okay. <laughs> but they get the newspapers and who is this guy, the captain or the head of police who's reading it? And he's like, they tell the, tell another officer to send in Lieutenant Cray. Yeah, it's Captain Robbins. Oh, thank you. And what is going on in this scene? What's up with the bird and the wa- the well, water cooler, it, the bird, everything here. At first, I always forget about the bird. So when he, like, puts his ear to the bird, where, like, I guess it's, like, supposed to be like, oh, he's t- telling me he wants water. At first, I'm always like, what's he doing? Because it's this teeny, tiny little canary. And then you're like, oh, shit, yeah, there's the bird, I guess. It's just some weird little character thing of, like, I wonder if this actor just had a bird. And brought it with him. And Ed's like, golly gee, let's throw that in the movie too. That just adds production value. <laughs> You're probably right. Uh, they're going over the evidence left behind from the hunters. And Janet, who works for the paper. So she's writing all these monster headlines. This is important. Damn it. Jam it. I love you. <laughs> touch it, touch it, touch me. I want to feel dirty. <laughs> Not that Janet. Not Janet Weiss. No. But anyway. <laughs> Janet who writes for the paper, is Cray's girlfriend, the the cop. Right. But she comes in and wants info on the monster, and the captain, whatever his name is, is insistent that there is no info. Yeah, Captain Robbins is like, the only info we have is what we read in your paper. And then she's like, there's like evidence in the background, 
which this is this shows you like I, even in the 1950s, I don't think they were this haphazard where there's evidence that they found, but it's just thrown on a shelf where like it's a like a slightly tattered jacket and a rifle. And she picks up the jacket. It's like, do you think a human being could do this? And it's like, yeah, humans own knives and scissors. I think they could tatter a jacket. And now if she picks up the rifle, she's like, what do you think this is? A pogo stick? <laughs> it reminds me of that old John Mulaney bit where like he's talking about old like cops and like how easy it was to get away with crimes. Yeah. It's like, there's a there's a puddle of blood here. Gross. Mop that up. Now back to this hunch. That's basically what it was like. I love that bit so fucking much. I think about that honestly like probably once a week. Of like, <laughs> yeah, the puddle of blood is like, gross. Clean that up. Now let me get back to this. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly what this is. And I love she gets mad where she's like going to like break up with her fiance over like I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> okay. It's so weird. Because she's like, all the times your Kelton says that the line was busy, you mean the line was actually busy? And he's like, Yeah. Then she's like, I'm gonna end this relationship. And the captain's like, Well then give him back the ring. And she's like, Oh, oh, well, I don't want to give up my ring. Okay, no, I love you again. Why is the captain involved? <laughs> that seems one it's a weird conversation to have in front of your fiance's boss to begin with. But why is he involving himself in it? Yeah, it's well, it's so weird that like they're doing it in front of him. And then I but I do love the fact that he's just like, You're not gonna actually break up with your fiance over this. Oh, if you're being serious, then give him back the ring. Give him back the rock. And she's like, I'd rather throw it into the pond by the old willow place. Oh, that's what's the old Willow Place? We'll see. Oh, yeah, we will hear the words Old Willow Place so many times in this hour-long movie. Yes. She goes to back to her job after making up everything's kosher with the relationship, and she asks her friend or co-worker about the real estate sections, and she wants the real estate stories in the file room. She finds what she wants. And I did make note of this, but they do bring it back in later. She doesn't put the paper away. She just leaves it on top. And apparently the lady working here doesn't clean the office for days. Yeah, and the lady, she's like, she leaves and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry for leaving it a mess. And the uh, lady working there is like, that's okay. That's what I'm paid for. And it's like, that is so opposite of like any um kind of anyone I've ever had for work. I've always been like, what the fuck did you do? I'm not cleaning that up. Yes, I get paid to sit here. Real quick, I want to mention the tiny little scene that does not need to be in there whatsoever. Janet Lawton is leaving that office after she gets the paperwork. And she okay. runs into random person. Um, Fuck, let me see. I just had it up. Ma uh, Margie, who is played by Dolores Fuller. Do you know who Dolores Fuller is? I do not know this name. Um, It is uh, Ed Wood's um, ex-girlfriend. Oh, okay. And she also, after she broke up with Ed Wood, uh, right after this movie, um, she relocated to New York City, and she became a songwriter for Elvis Presley. No shit! What a weird connection. Yeah, she recorded a number of her of uh the sing of Elvis's songs in the movies. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we're like I remember like um that Dolores Fuller was Ed Wood's 
girlfriend at the time. Then I kind of looked her up real quick. And then I'm like, oh, shit, she wrote Elvis songs, too, that were like number one hits. That's so weird that like Elvis and Ed Wood were connected, kind of. What's that? Seven degrees of separation. Everyone's connected. Yeah. And do you think that Elvis and her ever had sex, which would mean Elvis and Ed Wood had sex with the same person? Maybe. I would love to think that. I mean, most likely, yes. Oh, no, Elvis and Data just worked with him. I don't know then. I don't know either. Like, most likely not. Yeah, but then um, we get to where it's the Professor Strawski, right? Strawski. I didn't ever catch his name, though. I caught it, and I never wrote it down. Strawski? Yeah, because later Bella's like, oh, Professor Strawski. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, like they're old arch rivals, yeah. Yeah, it's Van Helsing and Dracula. Pretty much. But he shows up at the police station now, and... Look, he's talking about how he's going on tracking down monsters and weird things like that, and he's very interested in the case of the monster in their town. Uh, the captain's like, you telling me the Loch Ness Monster swam all the way over? He's like, I find that very unlikely. Yeah, which later in the movie implies that Dr. Eric Voronoff, played by Bela Lugosi, created the Loch Ness Monster. I'm not buying that in the slightest. Well, you know what? Bella is so amazing, he could do it. No, I like the Loch Ness Monster too much. We're not muddling this origin up here. No, no, no. Also, I think the Loch Ness Monster's, like, first appearance was in, like, the 1800s. Yes. Before Bella was even born. <laughs> early sightings, I believe. But no, he's, he just, uh, he keeps hitting himself with the atomic radiation Superman, like, flashes. And that's why he lives forever, but he kind of doesn't look that great. <laughs> Oh, he's a prehistoric monster expert. That's this Professor Strofsky. That's what he is. Okay. Well, yeah, he's like a crypto cryptozoologist, basically. Now it's like how like Razor Rob is super into cryptids right now. This is this guy. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah, if we ever recast this movie, we'll make Rob this guy. Yeah, but it's all about Mothman now. <laughs> yes. Uh, and in the morning, he will join Cray and his partner on their investigations. Next, we cut to Janet going to investigate what she got from her file, and she gets a flat, and I say this <laughs> in in quotes, crashes yeah. her car near the lake. She kind of drives off a little bit. Which you have to watch this movie, like, a many, many times and, like, really pay attention to see that he, she even got the flat. Because it's, like, half a second of footage of her tire looking weird, and then she just drives off the road close to a rubber snake. Was it snake rubber? Because I won't lie. It fooled me if it was. I'm like, that's a snake. Well, no, because there's a rubber snake in the tree of when you see her crash. Then it cuts to stock footage of, like, a python. Uh, okay, and that's then, what I'm thinking. I'm like, there's a python. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because then it cuts back to then, like, uh, Lobo, Tor Johnson, shows up to save her, quote-unquote. And he fights the rubber snake, and he, like, bats it back and <laughs> forth. And then grabs her, but she has an angora hat and uh, lobo has an angora fetish just like ed wood yeah that's not writing yourself into the role at all now is it because if you notice like the entire time lobo now tucks that into his pants and he just rubs it the entire rest of the movie i did not i'll have to, yeah. <laughs> to rewatch this and see it but lobo takes her back to vornoff and she wakes up in the lab and she's like where am i you know the usual questions and not long after waking up, Vornoff hypnotizes her right back to sleep. Yeah, he's like, she's like, he's kind of like, oh, you should like take a nap, or you should take a nap. And um, 
she's like, I'm not tired at all. And then she, uh, Bella Lugosi hits her with the sexy eyes. And she's like, oh, I am feeling a little tired out of nowhere. He does like the sexy eyes with the eyebrows. And then he does the weird hand thing. I love the weird hand thing. You must be double jointed and you must be Hungarian. <laughs> she falls back asleep. And then we cut to the next day. Cray and his partner show up. No professor, though. Where's that guy at? He went off like, yeah, they show up. Well, they do this weird thing. They get to a fork in the road. They both get out of the car, stand in front of the car, have their scene, and then get back in the car to continue to the old Willow's place. I I was very confused by this. So I'm like, is this their meeting place with the professor? Or they just get out, have a cigarette, get back in? I get, they're like, oh, let's stretch our legs. We, oh, we drove for 15 minutes outside of this small town. But they find Janet's car then, and they call the captain. No sign of her there. Um, this phone call with the captain look it doesn't sound like it's anything but if you want me to sum up this movie with a scene for what you're in for is right here because the captain answers the phone and like it's like they actually wait for it to ring the entire time and you could tell they didn't quite film like the you're gonna say this he's gonna say this you're gonna say this he's gonna say this they just can't get that to line up like to sound like a natural phone call whatsoever Oh, no, not whatsoever, where, you know, they're probably just sitting there just rattling off their lines, and Ed Wood's like, fuck, they're going too fast, but we only have so much film left. This is so low budget. That's perfect. One take. Cut. Yeah, it, it, it shows. I'm like, they didn't know what the other was saying at all. I think they just had their lines and not what the other was saying. Which is so funny when, like, you notice that in movies, because I've noticed that, like, several times throughout, like, many different movies of, like, yeah, you can definitely tell that that person is just pretending to talk on the phone. There's no acting at all what's going on. Like, they keep looking up, like, past the camera. Like, you know they're looking at the director. Like, what are they saying? Yeah. Uh, back at the lab, Lobo brings Janet and Vornoff some tea. He walks towards Janet a little too threatening-like, though. <laughs> <laughs> and then Vornoff, the first of a few times, stands up and just belts Lobo. He's taking his belt and whipping him as a ah ah, like as he's getting pelted with uh, Bella Lugosi's belt. Away, Lobo, away! <laughs> and then he hypnotizes Janet back to sleep again. Yeah, it's like, okay, what do you want? You just gave me tea that has caffeine in it. Now I'm back asleep. What are you hitting me with? Like, you're hitting me with, like, a speedball of, like, weird things here of, like, tea and, like, hypnotism. But then we cut to why the professor didn't meet our two heroes, because he's already in the house and he's sneaking around. Which, okay, real quick, I need to mention. Okay, yes. so you go inside. Okay, every time someone goes inside this house, they go into this foyer area. Yeah, it seems so, at least. And then in the background, you see stairs. Yes. And the stairs are pointing upwards towards the door. Okay. Meaning there's no way that those stairs go anywhere. It's it, because they're on the same wall that the door is going in and out. They're pointing the out way. Those stairs go nowhere. It's not even like there's like a, you looking at the outside, there's not an addition that goes upstairs. Those stairs literally go up like four little stairs. There's nothing. It's it's a escape door, I guess. If you need to jump out the house, yeah. But I, it's just a weird thing of like, okay, <laughs> they did not think of that whatsoever. 
Really? Knowing Edward, you think he he sat down and plotted out? Let's think of how this house, the inside, has to match the outside. Do you really think this? Oh, no, this is why I love Ed Wood. Because he doesn't care. It's all about the big picture. <laughs> and there's the crooked painting. And they could do without this room completely. Because it's a scene that doesn't need to happen. Because then they cut to the next scene where they're going into the next room. Every single time. <laughs> Yeah, the only purpose this room serves is a transition to another room where we could just start the scene at that other room. Edward's like, no, this eats up like a few seconds of film that I don't have to write anything. So let's film this. Yeah. But Straussberg? Did I remember this? Professor Strausky. Okay. Strausky, okay. He's in the house and Vornoff finds him. And like I said, like you said, he's the Van Helsing to his Dracula, pretty much. Yeah, which I actually I love the scene of their dialogue back and forth. Go on. Well, no, where it's like, um, Professor Strausky keeps saying, like, oh, our country didn't believe in you at first. And also, Strausky has this heavy accent as well. I can't quite place it. It kind of sounds German-ish, but I'm I not. think it's German, yeah. Which is weird when the line of dialogue goes on and on of, like, uh, our country wants you back so we can make this master race of atomic supermen so we can like have you should not be german and be talking about anything about a master race whatsoever yeah you're not wrong that's yeah, not a good look because basically what i get from it is bella lugosi dr eric vornoff was in blank country with this accent and was doing these experiments, he was ostracized, hunted, hunted like an animal, into the jungle, into the jungle boughs of hell. But I will create a race. I will create a race of atomic supermen that will conquer the world. <laughs> yeah, he said, I'm not going back. My plans are for myself. I don't wait yeah. too Russian with that. I was trying to go, Bella. It wasn't too great there. But it's for himself, he says. Yeah, and then uh, basically Strowski pulls out a gun and is like, I'm fucking taking you back to this country so you can make us like a master army. And then Bella's like, it looks like you have the upper hand for a minute. And then Lobo comes in to save the day once again. Yeah, he grabs him from behind, takes him to the lab, and they throw him to the monster. Again, the monster... Octopus, not a monster. All throughout this movie, Bella's been looking through a window at stock footage of a octopus. And the window he's looking through looks like it's an aquarium. Yeah, look, I, I got a question with this too. Now, this one I'm with you on, the, the layout makes no sense. Because it's also outside, but they can see it from there. So what, is the their house right on the water? So they can look out the window and see into the pond or wherever that the monster lives? But that also doesn't make sense, because when you see the outside of the house in the opening shot, there's no water. Maybe it's right behind the house. Yeah, maybe it's behind the house. This ginormous body of water, but it's only house length, like house length, and it's very long. So it's like yeah. a perspective thing. Yes. But no, it makes no fucking sense. Now that window has turned into a door. Yeah, now they can just open them up and throw them out into it without water gushing in either. Exactly, yeah, no water gushing in, and they throw Strowski right onto the rubber octopus, which then, like, he fights with for a minute. I believe it cuts to stock footage again, 
And then if I if I saw this scene right, they just they show the exact scene of Strowski getting thrown on the octopus again, right after it's the exact same footage, right? Like back to back. I'm not sure. I didn't catch that if it was. Because he gets thrown on the octopus twice within like a minute, and they both look extremely similar. If they're not the exact same scene, one of them's an outtake of the other one. That makes sense. Um, At this point, our cops, Cray and his partner, who I still don't think was ever named, they split up in their search, and this is where we get the alligator shootout. Oh yeah, where um they talk about like quicksand and stuff in the swamp, and I'm guessing he falls into quicksand, but then he gets out of it. He just falls easy. into a like knee height hole with nothing in it. Yeah, it's just like some leaves and brush, and then like you said, he cuts to stock footage of an alligator running towards several different alligators and different stock footage bits. And the funniest thing is different sizes and vastly different sizes. One of them's like a Lake Placid looking alligator. It's huge. And then the other ones are like very small. Some I think are actually crocodiles too. It's just all over the place. Oh, and some of them, the footage comes from daylight. Sometimes it's nighttime. Oh yeah, it's no sense at all. But he shoots at the alligator a couple times and just kind of pulls himself out of the hole. Yeah, he's fine now. Yes. Our captain is investigating whatever files Janet looked up. This scene drives me insane. I don't know why, because I think it's supposed to be humorous, but I don't get it. So I'll let you take it, him getting the files. Well, I just remember, like, he comes in and she's like, oh, yeah, she was looking, you know, at the uh, files for the old Willow's place. I haven't put them away yet. Well, no, she's all snappy with my first. What do you want? Looking for for Janet. She works here. What did you see her yesterday? What time? I don't know what time. And this goes on for, like, what feels like an eternity until he finally gets to the files. Where, oh, okay, that's right. Because it's almost like Edward trying to write just witty dialogue between two real people. But it seems like the Uncanny Valley shit of just, like, these people seem off. 100%. Like, I think it's supposed to be funnier and quippier than it ends up being. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what I see a lot of this movie as. Is I can see Edward writing this, being like, holy shit. Like, okay... Our detective hero gets stuck in quicksand and multiple alligators and crocodiles are coming after him and there's a big shootout, but he escapes. And then he gets to filming it and he's like, okay, what do I have to work with? And then he's like, okay, fuck, let's try to make the best out of this. Yes. And then after the whole alligator business, we cut to Vornoff messing with some equipment and he goes, I'm ready for the girl. And Janet comes in wearing a wedding dress again. Nothing has ever been mentioned of a, you will be my bride, you will be the monster's bride, you will be Lobo's bride, you will be the alligator's bride, nothing. So, I don't know why she's wearing a wedding dress. They could have done something with it of, like, we have these atomic supermen, but we need women to make, like, keep it going kind of thing, maybe. Well, any other, like, monster, like, exploitation, like, 1950s things would 100% do that. But yeah, it doesn't do anything of that. Like you said, she just shows up in this white wedding dress, and then it's just like, okay, now it's just the bride of the monster, but what, in Lobo or the octopus? Is this going to turn into hentai? <laughs> I was waiting, I was curious how long of us, how long we would go to one of us made a tentacle porn reference. Okay, there it is. Uh, without edits, 38 minutes. Well done us. I'm yeah. proud of that restraint. We did good. Because I even just thought of it. 
Oh, I knew the whole time. Like, one of us is making this joke at some point today. It's just one of those just you hear, oh, 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 while, like, every orifice is getting filled up with multiple tentacles. But it's oh. still the tentacles <laughs> from, like, that weird rubber monster. And there, it's not even, like, done right, so it's just, like, her, like, kind of chewing on the tentacle, like, putting it in her own mouth, being like, is this okay? Like, doing those eyes to the camera. <laughs> I have some links I can send you that's about that. But anyway. Some documentaries. Uh, is, yeah, documentaries, exactly. Um, Cray is sneaking around while the the building while all this is going on too. And she gets on the chair slash table, you know, like the operating table thing. And Vornoff tells Lobo to strap her in. He kind of doesn't want to at first. And so he belts Lobo again and then he straps her in. Well, this is another scene where like Lo every time Lobo now is told to do anything, he's just rubbing that Angora hat. Yes. And I real quick want to mention the um quote unquote like evil lair of Dr. Eric Vornoff is like I love the walls are supposed to look like they're brick and like stone, but they're so obviously painted. Oh, I didn't even know they were supposed to be like stone. I didn't I thought it was supposed to be like sci fi. No, it's supposed to I think it's supposed to be like an old like Think about the Universal Monster movies. It's always like a castle, like the evil laboratory is like in a castle basement. I mean, it makes sense, but it didn't come across well at all. If me and you were having this conversation, that means it was not executed well. Oh, not whatsoever. Like he was trying, but he couldn't like the best he could do was probably have like his girlfriend like paint those while she was like waiting for her lines. Yeah. Cray finds a secret entrance behind the fireplace. And so he gets in there. And he pulls a gun on Vornoff. This is not a good day for Vornoff. He's had two people pull guns on him. Yeah, well, it's almost like the uh, Texas Chainsaw Syndrome, where, like, Leatherface is, like, he goes for a minute where he's like, why do people keep showing up at my house? Yeah. And he's quickly knocked out by Lobo again. You know, anytime someone pulls a gun on Vornoff, Lobo will be there to save him. Yeah, and uh, Vornoff is always like, yes, you have me for the moment. Next week... Cray is chained up now, and the experiment starts to resume, like, flipping on more equipment and everything. And then Lobo has had enough, and he finally turns on Vornoff before he can complete it. Why is Lobo bulletproof? Yeah, out of nowhere, Lobo just screams and turns on Vornoff. Like, I'm guessing, do you think Lobo is an experiment that went half okay, where the guy survived, but it wasn't quite perfect, but he's good enough to be an assistant? I don't think that this much thought was put into it, to be honest. No, but I'm putting that much thought into it. Oh, that's your headcanon? Yeah, that's my headcanon. Okay. But, yeah, so he turns on Vornoff, and Vornoff shoots him a bunch of time, but Lobo's just bulletproof. And he knocks out Vornoff and frees Janet. Janet gives Cray his gun and frees him. Lobo puts Vornoff on the table. Obvious how, now how the tables have turned, pun. Oh, yeah. And turns on the machines and there's like this moral dilemma and Cray decides he's going to try to save Vornoff. But then we get the Lobo, the Lobo Cray fight. And I love this fight. Oh my God. The fact that, okay. So immediately, basically Cray's shirt gets ripped half off by Lobo. Yes. For the next bunch of scenes in the movie, Cray is running around in this half torn off shirt that at one time is just sleeves. And me and my wife, Liz, are sitting there watching this together, and she's kind of on her phone and, like, listening to my commentary as I go. And I go, take off your fucking shirt. You're just wearing sleeves. You look <laughs> stupid. 
but obviously Cray loses the fight. And Janet drags him away to the side to safety, kind of, and Lobo resumes the experiment. And the police, the captain and like a platoon of other officers arrive at the house at this point, but they're not in the secret lab room. Yeah, and I want to say I love that um, Dr. Eric Vornoff's um, transformation, quote unquote, gives him just like eight inch platform shoes like Kiss and turns him into a stunt double. Dude, I when they first when the experiment works on him, like and Vornoff frees himself from the straps and everything. I'm like, oh, it's a different guy. That's why we're not seeing his face. But no, it was still Bella. And as soon as I saw the shoes, I'm like. Okay, there it is. They are 100% Gene Simmons' kiss shoes. Oh, that was still Bella being, like, thrown around and stuff? I'm pretty sure, because why else would they put him in the platform shoes? Because I was trying to watch, like, I can't really see his face, but I'm pretty sure it's still him. I do not. That has to be a stunt double, because at this point, Bella was so old, and he gets thrown over a table. Oh, and, not in the fight, but later when we see him running and everything like that. Oh, but, like, it's him in the giant shoes. Oh, yeah, but Ed, when during the fight between him and Lobo, that's definitely a stunt double. Oh, no, 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 no. I thought I just talking about Big Bella was still Bella, not oh, that no. one. No, every once in a while, uh, Bella Lugosi is walking around in proto-Gene Simmons shoes. Yes, but no, not the fight. He would die. I was going to say, he, that guy got thrown over a table. Bella Lugosi was like 90 at this point. He, I know he wasn't 90, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Lobo falls into the equipment. So when I say oh, that, no, I mean, he kind of no, leans no, no, into it. He does not fall into the equipment. He backs into it until he feels himself hit the wall. And then there's some sparks. I was going to say, he, he kind of leans on the wall, more or less. <laughs> It's a it's a lesser version of like Friday the 13th part 8 where the nerdy camera guy just gets thrown onto a control board that then electrocutes him. Yeah, he falls into a wall and there's some sparks and a fire and he dies. He purposely stumbles backwards into a wall very safely. <laughs> yeah, he's done. He's like, yeah, I'm done with the movie now. You got everything you need for me? Okay, thanks, Ed. Okay, thank you, Ed. Time for go to bed. Um, and then Vornoff takes Janet and runs out. The cops who have made it into the house but not the secret lab room smell smoke. Ah, I smell that smoke. We better get out of here. And they leave, and they see Vornoff carrying Janet, like, out in the swamp (laughs) woods area. Yeah, I love, you see Vornoff, like, they're like, look, there goes Vornoff. But they're like, oh, look, there goes Kelton after him. And it's just, like, one scene of, like, Bella Lugosi carrying away the girl. And then it cuts to the cops saying that. And then it cuts to him they're going, like, oh, look, there's Kelton. And it's just him, like, running into frame with a gun, posing <laughs> with his weird, like, ripped shirt, and then running back after him, being like, go get him, Kelton. You know, like, in Evil Dead, when Ash's, like, denim shirt gets all torn to shreds and everything, but he looks like a fucking badass. He's got a chainsaw hand, a boomstick, yeah. like, it's awesome. Like, his shirt's torn to shreds. That is, like, the name brand, and then this is, like, the Wish.com version of that kind of pose. Oh, yeah, because he looks he looks like a homeless person of just, he's disheveled, and his, like, clothes are all ripped to shreds. But it's not in a good way. Like, he just has, like, baggy arms now, it looks like. <laughs> it's a puppy shirt. Finally, like, because I believe, like, for no reason, Eric Vornoff drops um, Janet. 
Yeah, he just puts her down. Just puts her down and goes running away. And then finally, he takes off that rest of the shirt. And every single time that happens, I'm like, yay! Like, I'm clapping, I'm cheering, I'm like, take off that fucking shirt! It's so distracting. (laughs) Also... The house gets struck by lightning for no reason and explodes. Oh, exactly. Yeah, so much <laughs> shit happens in the last ten minutes. There's a storm going on. Like, I know the house was on fire, but getting struck by lightning is not going to make it explode. And why does it get struck by lightning for no reason now? Yeah, right now, during the climax of the movie, that... They're not they they're not in a movie. This is supposed to be like a real life thing of like we're just looking in on a story. That's what movies yeah. are supposed to be, is looking in on a story. No, this is completely set up of like, okay, now movie does this for a reason. <laughs> but after the explosion house, the shirt removal, and the putting Janet down, all the cops open fire on Vornoff, and I am unsure of what happened here. Do they miss or do they have no effect? I'm I'm guessing. Uh, I mean, for the movie, they have no effect. Okay, I didn't know. I mean, I know if they're not shooting him, but like, yeah, I did. I couldn't tell whether they're supposed to be like he's bulletproof or they just couldn't get the shot. No, I believe it's supposed to be that he's bulletproof, but I like to pretend that this is almost like the uh, stormtroopers in Star Wars where they can't hit anything, and they That's just what I was thinking. every single shot because they're incompetent. They every single one of these cops are Barney Fife. My next note is 100% backing you up on that, because one of the cops just falls. And they make it seem like a big deal. He's on the hill and he just kind of tumbles there. It's a it's a bumbling cop walk-a-walk-a moment, which I hate bumbling cops. It's so stupid. I but hate he's not that played off for laughs. It's like he just kind of stumbles and they zoom in. I'm like, oh, do I have to count this as a kill? But then he gets up and kind of like rubs his head and moves. Well, and at this point, we see the paper mache boulder. <laughs> the most obvious. That's a prop that's coming into play in a minute. Oh, yeah, that's where Liz was looking on her phone this morning. And I go, oh, look at that obvious paper mache boulder. I wonder if that'll come into play in a minute or two. <laughs> so Cray gets up behind the boulder and pushes it into Vornoff. And it knocks him into the monster pond, lake, swamp, where the monster is. Yeah, it knocks him onto the rubber octopus, and this is the part that I was saying that they have forgotten the octopus motor, because you can see Bella Lugosi's hands making the tentacles attack him. <laughs> and it gets better! It gets better! Do you know what happens? It explodes! For no reason! <laughs> <laughs> so Bella Lugosi and the fake octop- the rubber octopus get ex- struck by lightning, and then they explode into a nuclear explosion. It's a mushroom cloud! <laughs> There's a mushroom cloud, but remember, there are people standing within ten feet of them. So, <laughs> so I don't... <laughs> And then it cuts to the captain, and it's been the most fucking bizarre. They cut to him and he goes, He tempered in God's domain. And then credits! That's the end of the movie! The end. That's all you need to know. End of story. <laughs> I mean, Ed Wood just... Congratulations, man. You made a, mo- you made a movie, technically. What a time this was.
uh, honestly, every time I watch Bride of the Monster, I have so much fun. I, I say, here's the thing: that whole last bit is a thrill ride and a half, and I fucking love it. The whole beginning of the movie, I kind of don't like, except for the Bella stuff. So it's a very mixed bag for me. Yeah, the beginning can be very slow at points and have a lot of n- unnecessary scenes. But if yeah, we it's, didn't it's have weird. those unnecessary scenes, this movie would be 20 minutes long. I was going to say, don't you dare say this movie wouldn't make sense, because the movie still doesn't make sense without even with it. Oh no, not at all. Alright, so yeah, that's Bride of the Monster. Any final thoughts, like I things mean, you want to bring up? Well... Bride of the Monster is a roller coaster. I am a ginormous Edward D. Wood Jr. fan, so I love the movie. And I feel like if you're also Edward fans, you're a fan of this movie in some way. But if you're not, if you don't have that kind of in your, the back of your head of like loving Ed Wood and like Bella Lugosi, and you're like, who's that? You're going to, that's, this is not for you. Oh, you have to be into. For lack of a better term, shitty B movies to love this. Oh yeah, you would. I, you would happily watch this with a double feature of like Manos, Hands of Fate. Yes, exactly. Anything like over the top, schlocky, bad. See the bat on a string type thing. Yeah, that's what you're in for. Yeah, exactly. So um, you want to get in the Count of the Dead? Oh yeah. Oh fuck, I forgot about the Count of the Dead for this movie. Okay, so if you this is your first time joining us and you don't know, the Throbbing with Horror Count of the Dead is where we tally all the deaths in the movie and we add them to our grand running total of all the movies we've done to get a nice big number, the Count of the Dead. Last episode, we did Child's Play. Left us, it left us with a Count of the Dead of 693. Where do you think Bride of the Monster brought us? Oh, uh, fuck. I'm trying to even think of, like... There's not a lot. There's not no. a lot, obviously. No. Well, I'm trying to... There's... I'm going to say four. Four. You're so close. Brought five? us to 698, five. Okay. I was good. I was between four and five. I went with the lower one, but okay. Yeah. No, yep. Five kills for Bride of the Monster, Count of the Dead of 698. Oh, damn. So we're two away from 700. Yeah. I wonder if we'll hit it next week. I hope so. Well, oh, shit. That's right. Because I remember what's <laughs> next week. So <laughs> next week's tricky. Next week's tricky, Greg. This is a really weird one for you. Yes. But we will reveal what's next week next week at the end of the episode. Um yeah. but every week Greg does his count of the dead, ah ah ah. Which is very fitting because the count from Sesame Street's Dracula vampire yeah. and we have Bella, so Yeah, one hundred percent. But I like to do a rating system, but I do not like to do stars or thumbs up or thumbs down because number one Joe Bob Briggs does stars, and Joe Bob is sacred. Hail Joe Bob. Hail Joe Bob. Um, and number two, uh, Cisco and Ebert did stars and thumbs up, and they can go fall into a rubber octopus pit. Fall into a rubber octopus pit. I feel like I have to repeat, since I do the Hail Joe Bob, I have to repeat that part. Well, yeah, that works. Okay. Um, I like to do something from the movie 1 through 10, 1 being the worst, 10 being the best. And this week, I'm going to go with stock footage. That's a good one. I, I Real quick, before you get into yours, I'm nervous about this one, Brett. Oh, <laughs> what, do, what do you think I'm going to say, Greg? I think you're going to give it like a fucking 10 or something, knowing no. you I'm waiting for. <laughs> Plan 9 is a 10. And I can agree with that. I'm going to say one 
like a number one stock footage, the worst stock footage, is the stock footage that gets filmed and then never used again. It's just squirreled away into a cabinet and no young, brash filmmaker who loves Angora and might like to wear dresses finds it. He's not going to touch it. Like, what can, I can't even use this. Like, oh, no, I need to, like, go and, like, do my little job. I can't use this. Like, no, this needs to stay in the drawer. A number 10 stock footage is what Ed Wood has done with stock footage for his own career. I'm thinking, like, Plan 9, the fight with the military fighting the UFOs, something like that. Exactly, where it's the World War II stock footage fighting against 1950s footage, and the general that's just standing in the void looking at binoculars. Or in this movie, it switches between, like, rubber octopus and obviously real octopus, but much smaller. Yes. And... I, I'm not giving this a 10, Greg. Okay, that's that's good, probably. Plan 9 from Outer Space is a 10 out of 10 Ed Wood movie. Okay. I'm going to give this 8 pieces of stock footage out of 10. Because I cannot... Number 1, I cannot rate a Bella Lugosi movie lower than an 8. Anything Bella's in is an 8 or above, because Bella is the greatest ever. I'm following, okay. And I love Ed Wood so much, and this is just such a fun movie for me because of my love of Bella and Ed Wood. It brings two of my favorite things together. The, the num- like two more things they could have added for this to make it a ten. Have tell them Steve Dave show up somehow, and they're drinking old German. Okay, that's very for you would get to a ten. That that's the only way it would get to a ten for me because that would include all of my favorite things in one movie. Okay. Um, but honestly, it is honest. It's so much fun. Even the doll scenes for me, I have fun with because it's weird character shit that makes no sense. All right. So I'm going through my stock footage files here. I got to find a movie to find something to make my movie. I feel like you're going to make me sad, Greg of the Dead. I feel like I am too. And I don't want to make you sad. And so hear me out. It's above passing. Okay. I went five and a half stock footage. Okay, that's not as bad as I thought it might be. Okay, look, I, I told you, the, the movie's trash. In a oh, good yeah. way, though, that 100%. I love. 100%. I will agree with you completely with that. This movie is garbage. Yeah, and I mean that lovingly. So n- make sure you guys know that. I'm not saying fuck this, because I had a great time watching it, but that cannot cover up the fact that the movie is garbage. And it's the fun kind that I really like, except for a lot of those beginning scenes. Like, a lot of the police station at the newspaper place randomly walking through the woods stuff, I don't give a shit about it. It's not so bad that it's fun for me, and it's not entertaining to keep me in, and it's not actually acted well like the Bella scenes. So it has this weird, like, void area for me that, like, I could time when to go do stuff when these are happening and come back and make it a 10. You know what I mean? But anyway... Even with that, it gets me to a five and a half. Yeah, so Bella and Edward and Tor Johnson got you to the 5.5, but the rest of it was just like, ugh. Like, no joke, 100%. That's that's 100% what I mean. I get what you mean, because I am so, I am an extreme, like, Edward fan of, like, you love wrestling, and I don't yeah. really get wrestling a whole lot. Like, I like Mick Foley, and I like yeah. a couple of them. 
And I almost see that if maybe it's like the same thing with me and Ed Wood of like, I will like religiously like, oh my God, it's Ed Wood's birthday. I need to watch Glenn or Glenda. Yeah. But so Ed Wood, just the fact that he had a hand in this just makes me be like, oh my God, I love it. Oh, and Ed Wood's bad movies have a more special quality than a lot of other bad movies do to him. There's something just weird about his stuff in a good way. Yeah, I agree. It has, it's this weird, well, it's like a Kevin Smith movie feels like a Kevin Smith movie. A James except Gunn movie. Except for Cop Out. Except for Cop Out. A James Gunn movie still feels like a James Gunn movie. An Ed yeah. Wood movie feels like an Ed Wood movie. Yeah, the signature styles are something that always help. And I just have to just once again say praise our Lord and Savior, Ed Wood and Bella Lugosi. Like, thank you for keeping me safe. Thank you for looking over me. I pray to you every day. <laughs> uh, that's all I got on Bride of the Monster. Still a stupid title, but for Bride yeah. of the Monster. <laughs> yeah, even the title's dumb. It's like, what bride? You mean that two <laughs> second scene where she was on a white dress? Yeah, for it's just a white dress. Yeah. <laughs> All right. You want to tell the good people what we're doing next week? Yeah, we're next week. Like I said when we were talking about uh, during um, Count of the Dead, next week is going to be very difficult for Greg, depending on how he takes the movie, which is going to be American Psycho. Man, I can't wait to talk about this movie. I love it. It's going to be a very fun time. I can't be hip to be squared. <laughs> Don't just look at it. Eat it! Yeah. Hey, Paul! So, as far as streaming goes, you said it got added to something, right? Yeah, because, um, we're, yeah, here, we're at the end of the episode here, so I'll do something where, like, uh, recently, um, the Dexter series came back on Showtime, which I watched, I binged watched the entire, uh, series of Dexter a couple years ago when I worked at a beer distributor and I had a lot of downtime. And yeah. that series I enjoy. It has a lot of ups and downs. The earlier seasons are better than the later seasons. Later ones get kind of weird. But at that point, you're so invested in it. You're like, I'm still watching it. Okay. But um, I saw Dexter's coming out with a brand new season. Dexter New Blood. Which is like, I always think about Friday the 13th then. Yeah, which is one of my favorite Friday the 13th. So I'm all for it. But it's basically like what happened after the uh, after like the season finale of Dexter. Now we're like in the I, it's Alaska or it's somewhere very cold with a lot of snow. But I got Showtime just to watch Dexter, the new one, and I was flipping around. And I was like, "Oh shit, there's American Psycho." So American Psycho is on Showtime if you just happen to get it for Dexter. So there you go. There it is streaming on something. If you guys like to watch ahead and watch it before we cover it. If not, you can rent it off Amazon or find a DVD or something like that. Yeah, and even if, like, that, you probably know a lot of the trope because this movie is a very well-known movie, and it has a lot of, like, there's so many memes from this movie. Oh, yeah, that famous, like, Christian Bale doing the face is from this movie. There's so much of it. Yeah, which I cannot wait to talk about American Psycho. I've been wanting to rewatch this movie for a couple months now, and I'm really excited we're there now. Yeah, so we got some good stuff coming down the line for you guys. That'll be next week. In the meantime, please leave us a five-star review on whatever podcatcher you are listening to us. Helps us out a ton. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, or join the Facebook group or follow the Facebook page. 
And that's pretty much all I think I got for the whole spiel. Yeah, ch- uh, check out Greg uh, every week on his other podcast, um, Geek Positive, which um, the last one you guys just released was on Deadpool, I believe. That was a Deadpool episode. That was fun. Nice. We'll have the Eternals next Monday. We'll be covering that new, the new movie. Oh, okay, nice. I do like I still I love the MCU movies, and I honestly do look forward to like whenever you guys talk about whatever's new. Oh, good. I'm glad it'll be an interesting one. That's all I'll say. No spoilers for the episode, but it'll yeah. be an interesting one. Yeah, so definitely give those guys a check out, and um, yeah, thanks you guys for listening to this episode and your continued support. Yeah, thank you. And we hope that Bride of the Monster, Ed Wood, and the amazing Bella Lugosi has left your brain throbbing with horror.